You can be a king or a street sweeper, but everyone dances with the Grim Reaper. Robert Alton Harris. These were his final words before being executed by the electric chair. Hello everybody. My name is Daru. I am the host of the podcast that isn't only science-based, but we also cover some history too. All opinions involved in this podcast are my own. And here, we hope to spread some knowledge and understanding of the world around us and where this all came from. This is Class Half Full. Hello and welcome to episode three of Class Half Full. In this episode, we are going to cover time of death and decomposition of a human body. This episode might get a little bit grim, um, so just hold on to your seat a little bit, sit tight. If you're a bit squeamish, you can skip areas. I will give some advance notice if I remember. Um, in terms of decomposition, we're going to cover the five stages and we're going to talk about post-mortem intervals or time of death and what we can do to help determine us and how this can aid a forensic investigation. So let's go. I want to begin by talking about PMI or post-mortem inter- interval um, to start this off. So this is the time of death, basically the estimation of it. So the estimation of time of death is central to the course of like all forensic investigations. Basically, if you know when the death occurred, you can clarify certain circumstances, you can assess you know, potential suspects and get timelines from this. So it's really, really important to get as accurate a reading of this as you possibly can. The issue with it is it can only be accurate to, it's obviously, you know, two days, that's a big timeline, but there's many, many factors that can interfere with this. So currently, uh, methods that are used include temperature, temperature measurement, it's also known as algor mortis. Do these fancier terms, I'll explain a bit later on. And there's assessment of rigor mortis, we all know what that is levidity and morphological changes. First description of body temperature changes as kind of a means of time of death estimation first published in 1868 by Veni and pretty much since then this method still gets used in forensic investigations and it gets used fairly successfully. Its usefulness is limited to you know short PMI before the temperature of the body eventually equilibrates with its surroundings but you know it's definitely had its place and it's definitely got its uses. It does reduce in its effectiveness in places that have you know higher average temperatures, you know it's the body temperature will increase after death, death instead of decrease. All those terms I mentioned before, algal mortis, rigor mortis, lividity or liver mortis, these all reach a pretty much steady state in 40 hours after death. You know they're fairly early on, it all happens very quickly. So the observations of rigor mortis um, can date back to the 19th century when it's first investigated um, by Pierre Hubert Neeston. Um, it's described as a state of constant muscle contraction, which is uh, pretty much caused by a depletion of ATP, a depletion of the ATP source within postmortem tissue. I will describe this um, chemical cascade effect essentially um, a it later on. But basically, after death, ATP is no longer produced in the actomycin complex, it can't be broken down. So therefore your muscles remain contracted. This will happen right up until autolysis starts degrading the muscle tissue. 
the levicity or liver mortis are also known as hypostasis and is described as the bluish purplish discoloration that you see in the skin and this is basically just caused to gravity pulling your skin down uh, pulling the blood you know down and um, so if there was a body hanging from a tree you'd see it all in the lower half of the body if there was a body on its side you'd see it down the side of its body and this can also be a good way of telling you know where the body was at time of death has the body been moved when was the body mo been moved was the body lying against anything you'd get you know marks of objects that the body was leaning against against and these wouldn't have the purple discoloration the final method they can use to try and estimate this as the morphological changes of the body. So this method kind of rely, solely relies on experience and knowledge of the investigator looking at it. It is quite subjective because the rate of decomposition depends on how many anti-mortem factors are involved here. So, you know, um, the health of the deceased, are they in water, are they not in water, all the environmental conditions around about the body when it was discovered. To kind of summarise this a wee bit, there's four main factors that can affect the rate of decomposition. You've got temperature, moisture, pH, and the partial pressure of oxygen. So let me give a description of each of these. Um, the pH determines the type of chemical reactions that occur during decomp. Um, so if there's a, an alkaline environment, for example, it's usually created when there's aerobic surface decomposition, and an acidic environment is formed when there's anaerobic decomposition. So lack of oxygen slows down the decomposition process. Obviously, the more oxygen, you can speed up a wee bit more. Um, other minor factors affecting the rate of decomp can have presence or lack of clothing, injuries, um, animal activity, insect activity, certain diseases. The percent of body fat the deceased will have, induction of chemicals, there's literally hundreds of variables that can happen and these can all affect the person looking into the cases, the estimation of time of death. So something I'm going to come on to a wee bit later is one of the key parts of PMI and something that really, really inter interests me at the minute is there's a lot of research going into finding a more objective um, lab-based method to try and remove the human perception from this and to try and maybe narrow it down to, you know, less hours, maybe even minutes, just to make it more accurate because there's lots of room, room for improvement in it. The margins of error involved from the human element are fairly large. They're using combined methods, different opinions, and the longer the PMI, the bigger the error. So, you know, a six hour PMI can have an error of at least two hours. So six hours, give or take two hours. I mean, it can rise to four and a half hour if it's 10 hours PMI. So this be, that'll be something else I'll come on to. I'll mostly speak about mass spec methods and proteomics and metabolomic methods. It's just, that's an area that interests me. It's an area I know fairly well. I think next we'll go on and we'll speak about the stages of decomposition. Your body will typically decompose, you know, in a particular, predictable type of fashion. This is obviously subjective to various variables that I've mentioned before. So to a, to a certain degree, the, the rate of decomposition can be used to estimate time of death. And it'll help get a timeline, um, as there's no, for lack of a better word, foolproof way of determining time of death in the lab and whatnot. There's five stages, or four, depending on where you look, um, but I'm going with the five. Um, they are fresh bloated, decay, post-decay, and dry and or skeletal. Each of these stages can also be associated with different species of insect, but I'm going to go into that a little bit more in a different episode, which I'm going to focus completely on forensic entomology. So let's go through each of these stages in turn. The fresh stage usually happens between one and two days. It's fairly instant. So basically your heart stops beating. At this point, you're depriving your whole body of oxygen. 
you're creating pH changes that start to occur all over your body and your starts uh, your cells sorry start to lose their structure and they'll start to break down this in turn will release enzymes that were in your cells they will then go on to break down other cells and tissues and um, so this is basically your own body degrading itself with its own enzymes this has a term called autolysis typically there is no you know obvious signs at this stage but within your body internally there's bacteria within your GI tract and they begin to digest the soft tissues of the organs. Also at this stage there's certain early post-mortem indicators. They can begin to show, so I mentioned them earlier on, these were liver mortis, rigor mortis, algal mortis. Liver mortis being the pulling of blood. Rigor mortis, the one we're all familiar with, is stiffening of muscles and algal mortis. Algal mortis is the body temperature reduction. So I want to go back and talk about rigor mortis for a wee second as it is one of the things that we are common with. As we all know, it's the part where your body becomes firm and rigid. So it starts to begin in the smallest muscles, you know, like the ones in your, your hands, your feet, and then it cont continues onto your larger limb. If the muscles are stretched for whatever reason, pulled out, moved, the stiffness can be broken, and then this part of the body will just move on to the next stages. So what causes rigor mortis? Well, there's a chemical change that's involved here. And when you're alive, your muscles contract to complete you know, physical actions, walking, talking, jumping. So these contractions are a result of an exchange of chemicals. And when resting, the muscles pump out calcium ions. So these ions interact with actin and myosin filaments, which results in your muscle then contracting. The muscle stays contracted until ATP, or adenosine triphosphate, binds to the myosin and relaxation occurs. So this all happens because of oxygen essentially. So when the body is no longer receiving oxygen, the chemical reactions then can't occur. But the respiration can continue anaerobically for a while after death, and this is why it takes a period of time for rigor mortis to set in. So that's then now where the body's not getting oxygen, the muscles can't produce ATP, and the myosin actin filaments will then remain contracted and the muscles will remain tense. So there's actually six stages of rigor mortis. They are absent, minimal, moderate, advanced, complete, and past. So absent being in this um absent being the body still receives small parts of oxygen anaerobically and your muscles are still soft. Minimal is when the muscles have begun to stiffen. So that's right at the start, um, your smaller muscles are then begin to stiffen. Moderate is when more of your muscles are beginning to stiffen up and it's obvious that the body is no longer loose or flexible. Advanced, um, this is where majority of the muscles are now stiff and rigid. Complete is when all the muscles in the body are hard and rigid. And then past is when rigor mortis is ended and the body can now move on to the next stage of death. Just like death overall, rigor mortis can be affected by several other factors. Um, things can speed it up, delay it. Um, in some cases it can't even occur. Most of the cases where it doesn't occur is common on frail and weak people, um, specifically children, the elderly, um, who do not necessarily have you know, the muscle mass. But yeah, that was just a wee quick bit on rigor mortis 
and we'll move on to the next stage of death. So the next stage of decomposition is called the bloated stage and this will happen between two to six days. So at this stage, this is where we start to get the first visible signs of um, decay, namely the inflation of your tummy or your abdomen um, due to the buildup of various gases being produced by the bacteria inside your body. The bloating is particularly visible around the tongue, eyes, um, as a buildup of gases to protrude them. Um, your skin at this point will exhibit a certain colour change, taking on that more marbled appearance due to the transformation of your haemoglobin in the blood into other pigments. Um, blood bubbles can form around about your nose and other orifices. And at this point, this is where we start to get an odour of putrefaction. If you've got a sense of nose, you'll probably definitely notice it at this point. So there's a couple of things that can cause the smells that you can smell round about a dead body. Pentane-1,5-diamine, or cadaverine, is the kind of foul, rotten flesh smell. It's also responsible for the you know, distinctive odours that are in urine and semen. There's also butane-1,4-diamine, or putrescine. It's kind of like the putrefied flesh, garbage type smell. Also contributes to bad breath. Three methyl lindol or ascatol, um, also found in human feces and has a flowery smell at low concentrations, and also just an indol that's a kind of musty, stale smell. So, stage three this is decay and happens typically between five and eleven days. The inflated carcass now starts to deflate and all the putrid internal gases start to be released. As your tissues break down, the corpse will appear to be a bit wet and strong odours are very noticeable. So that's all those scents I mentioned previously, as well as a variety of sulphur-containing compounds. So due to these smells, this will start to attract a, a vast range of insects. And this is where we get a lot of insect activity at this point. Fluids also start to drain from the corpse through any orifice that sees fit particularly the nose and the mouth. Your internal organs will start to decompose in a particular order, typically starting with the intestines and ending with the prostate or uterus. Next stage after this is post-decay. So that's 10 to 24 days, and by the time this stage is reached, decomposition will start to slow down a bit, um, as most of the flesh has pretty much been stripped um, from the skeleton. Some may remain in dense areas, so around about your tummy, uh, the strong odours of decay start to you know, decline a bit, although you may still get a, a cheese-like smell caused by butric acid. And if the body has started to decay in soil by any chance, the area around the cadaver may show signs of plant death. And the final stage, known as the dry stage, which occurs any time after 24 days, this is where your remains are consisting pretty much of just bones, dried skin, cartilage, after this point, so typically a month into decomposition, something called corpse wax started to form. And basically this is just primarily composed of saturated fatty acids. So this insoluble waxy material can be with your body for decades before starting to break down. The process of this happening isn't entirely understood, but the whole theory of saponification kind of gives off that the ideal um, environment. Within an ideal environment, fatty acids can be hydrolyzed from body fat and conjugated with metallic ions, calcium, magnesium, and this will result in the formation of it. So that was referenced in 2001 from Hakatori. The conditions required for the formation of this substance are relatively specific as far as they're aware. 
that occurs best in warm conditions in the absence of oxygen but anoxic conditions in this scenario but with high levels of moisture and various factors can influence the formation of grave wax um, including the cause of death body conditions prior to death whether the body was buried or not and if so how much time has passed between the time of death and when the body was buried pH and other environmental conditions can also affect the development of this and the presence of this can provide certain benefits maybe in establishing time of death as it can help preserve certain features within the body and talking about preserving body features something that's been tried and tested for a very very long time uh, is mummification more notably during the Egyptian time so mummification is a process that pretty much occurs in warm and arid conditions ultimately um, resulting in the desiccation of the body similarly similarly mummified cadavers have also been found preserved in dry cold conditions the resulting corpse will often be fairly well preserved compared to cadavers that have gone typical decomp decomposition. Mummified bodies appear brown in colour with um, shriveled leather-like skin so it retains certain aspects of that person's appearance and potentially improving the likelihood of establishing a cause of death. A little lengthy bit now about certain factors that will affect decomposition. So the time taken for a body to decompose can vary, you know, massively due to a wide range of factors. Um, the most significant factor in the rate of decomp is temperature and environment. So warmer temperatures will accelerate this process, whereas colder temperatures will slow it down. And if they're cold enough, they can stop it altogether. The temperature will equally affect insect activity, which will then ultimately affect how quickly the body is broken down. Environmental conditions will equally affect um, the species of insect present in that area. So that also in turn will have an effect on the state of the corpse, depending on the species colonizing on the remains at the time. Dry windy environment can dehydrate a cadaver, resulting in the mummification process. The amount of protection a body has will also play a role in the rate of decomposition. So say a body was buried with blankets or sheets of plastic or just a couple of feet of soil, so like a shallow grave, other than just being exposed to the naked environment as a naked as a naked cadaver. A protected body may also limit, it'll also limit the insect activity. So this will create slower rate of decomposition. That's because the insects can easily access the corpse and in addition to that, this will retain body heat. If a body has been left submerged in water, the rate of decomp will typically be much slower due to low temperatures, levels of oxygen, and unless the corpse is able to float to the surface, again, insect, the variety of insect colonization will be affected. When a dead body is left exposed, it will inevitably attract you know, scavengers, which may have an effect on the apparent rate of decomp, although insect activity will remain reasonably well understood at this point, the cause of death can affect insect succession and in turn the state of decomp. So for example, corpse with gaping wounds uh, may introduce insects into areas of the body sooner than you'd expect, resulting in the body to appear more decomposed. Last couple of examples, if a body was buried, the burned, sorry, if a body was burned, the skin and tissue may be charred and dried out, rendering it you know, unsuitable for microbial growth and certain insect activity. However, conversely, fire could cause injuries 
which ultimately exposed the body further, accelerating the decomp process. Though not a common factor, though not a common factor that must be taken into account, certain drugs in the body of the deceased have been known to affect rates of decomp in terms of insect activity. So for example the presence of cocaine has been shown to speed up the development of insects, therefore it has an effect on the state of the corpse. And I think I'm going to wrap this episode up here. As you'll probably tell, it's not the most well-rounded episode. It's been a bit of a tough time since we've turned into 2021, especially working in the pharma industry. Here in the UK, we're dealing with Brexit and the implications are huge. Things that people have not thought out before and, you know, testing markets throughout in the EU and whatnot. So I've been fairly busy, fairly stressed. This episode particularly has been recorded over months in tiny sections. So there might be bits missing, there might be broken bits, but ideally I just want to get the majority of it out. The next episode um, will be on just certain lab tests. That'll be a very, very short episode. Certain lab tests that, you know, can be done in relation to decomposition and post-mortem intervals to try and get, to try and remove that subjective side of determining time of death. Um, These are all not greatly validated methods, but they can certainly aid in, I think, labs around the world are trying to implement these more and um, so look out for that that shouldn't be too long behind this one a few th- few updates since the last episode i knew it was a while ago we now have like a business facebook page that everything will be released out onto we have also um started to release previews onto tiktok so come find us there ask for the link or just search for us we'll be there about or you might even come across us you never know um so i'll be releasing previews onto there and instagram of each episode before they're released now i'd like to take this moment to thank everyone for listening to the latest episode of class half full we really appreciate your feedback and your comments so please keep them coming you can email any questions or any feedback to class half full at outlook.com you can find us on instagram class half full six you can find us on twitter class underscore half And we now have a Facebook page called The Class Half Full Podcast. Come along, like, subscribe, review, ask some questions, and just get joined in the chat. Hope to see you in the next one. And that's class dismissed.